everyone, it's Krista Bontrager and I'm your tour guide this year as we go through the Bible as part of the Route 66 campaign for Grace Church of Glendora. This is the Points of Interest podcast where we preview this week's reading and get you ready to get into the Word of God. Are you ready? Here we go. Well, it was from Genesis to today. More than four thousand years all the way. George John Gibbs, all route 66. Welcome to week 36 of the Points of Interest podcast. This week we're continuing our journey through the 66 books of the Bible. Right now we are in the book of Ezekiel. We'll be starting out in chapter 13 of Ezekiel and traveling all the way through chapter 30. So we're going to hit a few highlights today in the podcast of some signposts to look for this week as you're going through this section of Ezekiel. And much like Jeremiah, Ezekiel also has his battles to contend with false prophets. And so right away in chapters 12, 13, and 14, you're going to be reading Ezekiel's condemnations of the false prophets who speak in the name of the Lord, but are not actually speaking for the heart of Yahweh. Then when we get to chapters 15 through 19, we're going to have another series of oracles related to the condemnation of Jerusalem and her kings. And I want to look more closely at chapter 15. It's a short chapter, but it's interesting because it has a connection to a very familiar passage in the New Testament. Chapters 15 and 16 go into some detail of some allegories that Ezekiel is using to compare the unfaithfulness of Jerusalem. In chapter 15, that allegory is that of being a useless vine. It says in verse 1, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, how is the wood of a vine different from that of a branch from any tree in the forest? Is wood ever taken from it to make anything useful? Do they make pegs from it to hang things on? And after it is thrown on the fire as fuel and the fire burns on both ends and chars the middle, is it really useful for anything? If it was not useful for anything when it was whole, how much less can it be made into something useful when the fire has burned and it is charred? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, As I have given the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest as fuel for fire, so I will treat the people of living in Jerusalem. I will set my face against them. Although they have come out of the fire, the fire will yet consume them. The metaphor of the vine is used several different times in the prophets, and that's something that you can watch for as you go through the prophets, are the references to Israel being compared to a vine. And this is reminiscent of Jesus' words in John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And it goes into this very detailed allegory about Jesus being the true vine. Well, if Jesus is the true vine, that sort of implies that there was at some point in the past a false vine. And you could make the argument, as many scholars have, that what Jesus is comparing himself to here as the true vine is that he is the one who has been truly 100% faithful to his father. 
whereas Israel was a vine that was a false vine, an unfaithful vine that was thrown into the fire and charred. And so when Jesus talks about being connected to the vine or in the English translation of abiding in the vine, really what he's saying there is it's not so much an idea of abiding with Jesus as, as an action in the way that we think of it, like hanging out with him, spending time with him. What Jesus is talking about here is be attached to me. I am the true vine. If you want to have a connection to God the Father, the way to do that is through me. And all of the I am statements in the Gospel of John are basically all saying that that same thing in different ways. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. These are all different allegories that Jesus is using with the same meaning. Basically, if you want to be attached to God, the way to do that is to go through me. And so what Jesus is saying in John 15 is, you no longer need to be attached to a a geopolitical state of Israel in order to get to God. If you want to get to God, you need to attach yourself to Jesus, the true Messiah, the true vine, the fulfillment of the Old Testament law and the prophets. That's how you get to God. And if you're not attached to Jesus, your fate will be that of being judged and burned in the fire. And then when we get to chapter 16, there is a very vivid allegory uh, retelling the history of Israel as if Israel started out as an abandoned infant who was basically left to die, grew up and was saved by God, but then went off to become a prostitute. And there is some rather PG-13 language in this description of how God viewed Israel's unfaithfulness. And yet, once again, even at the end, even after this long description of, of what Israel had done and why she deserved judgment, when we get to the end, God once again says, but I will remember my covenant and I will establish my covenant with you and, and you will know that I am God and I will make atonement for you. Once again, we have this strong allusion to the new covenant that is coming. The anticipation is continuing to build in the prophets for what God will do in a future work as he restores his people to the land. When we get to chapter 25, and this theme will continue through chapter 32, we're going to read through a series of oracles of judgment against the nations. These are nations that were immediately surrounding Israel. They were on the borders of God's people, and yet they are also having judgments pronounced against them. And, and each of them are, are for different reasons, and, and God explains what some of those are. But there is a long oracle in chapters 26 and 28 against Tyre and Sidon. And I wanted to take a quick look at the prophecy against the king of Tyre in Ezekiel chapter 28. Now, in, in chapter 27, you're going to read a lengthy prophecy against the destruction of Tyre as a city and its influence. But then when we get to 28, it kind of zooms in on the leader of Tyre, the king of Tyre. 
And as you read through this, you know, you're going to be struck by some, some things because immediately it talks about how the pride in the king of Tyre's heart is that he fancies himself as being a god and he, he sits on the throne of a god in the heart of the seas. It says in verse 2, and then God kind of cuts him right down to size and he says, but you are a mere mortal and not a god, though you think you are as wise as God. So the description here is of a very prideful ruler. He's, he thinks he's extremely wise, but he's about to be made God's fool because God is going to bring foreigners against him from the most ruthless nations on earth and destroy the beauty of Tyre. But then when we get to verse 12, there's something curious that happens, is that then we have a lament concerning the, the king of Tyre. Then we start getting into territory that it almost sounds like, hey, maybe we're not even really talking about the king of Tyre anymore. Are we talking about someone else? This is what the sovereign Lord says in verse 12. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper, lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for I so ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sin. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. And I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones." This is such an interesting passage because how could the king of Tyre be in Eden? And how could he be so perfect and anointed and ordained of God and he's living in the holy mount of God? Many scholars think that what's happening here is that this is like a dual prophecy with a dual meaning. Yes, it was a condemnation of the king of Tyre. He was wicked and proud, but he's acting as, as like a, a type of a larger persona of pridefulness and splendor and condemnation, and that is Satan or Lucifer. Now, there's nothing in this passage that specifically mentions that this is about Satan. We're just sort of inferring it based on these little hints in the passage that seem to go beyond just a description of a human king living in Tyre. Ezekiel 28 is considered by many scholars to be a key passage of the description of Satan before he fell, before he was thrown out of heaven or off the holy mount of God, as it's called here. So it's just something interesting to keep in mind as you're reading the passage is that sort of double meaning that has been pointed out by many scholars. Read it for yourself. See what you think. Do you think there's something more that's going on here in the background of this lament against the king of Tyre in Ezekiel 28? We're really in the thick of it this week with more condemnations against the sins of Jerusalem. And Ezekiel has his hands full as he has these words from the Lord. We're so fortunate to live in an age where this has been preserved and 
written down for us that we can benefit from these oracles as well. And we want to take a moment to think about what is God showing me as I'm reading this? What are the ways that I am unfaithful to the covenant of God? None of us is perfect. We all sin. Even when we're Christians, we still sin. And it's important that we not only just look to God in the good times, but that we also practice the discipline of examining ourselves and letting the prophets speak to us about our own covenant unfaithfulness. Where have we wandered away from true worship of God? And that's not just singing songs on Sunday. That's with our whole lives. Where have we fallen short to love God and love our neighbor fully and completely as we ought? Well, I hope that gives you some things to think about as we move forward. We're going to continue the adventure next week in the book of Ezekiel. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Yeah.